Welcome to Life Quest Liberty, live in-depth conversations with today's top writers, editors, and spiritual leaders concerning religious freedom around the world. On today's broadcast, we'll examine local and international factors that may be impacting your right to worship and obey God as your conscience dictates. I'm your Life Quest Liberty host, Charles Mills. When we in the United States, place our hands over our hearts and recite the Pledge of Allegiance, we utter a phrase that we may not fully understand. At the end of the pledge, we say, with liberty and justice for all. Liberty we get. That means freedom. We got to have freedom, right? But what exactly does justice mean? What are we pledging for all? Our guest today has some suggestions. Nathan Brown is a writer, editor, and man focused on the subject of justice for all, as in social justice. We began this conversation on our last program and continue it now. Nathan, welcome back to LifeQuest Liberty. Thank you. Good to be back. Now, your latest book, For the Least of These, speaks of justice as a foundation stone of God's love for humanity. How does God show justice to us, and how does he expect us to reciprocate? I guess one of the defining features of God throughout the Bible is simply that God is a God of justice. Sometimes that has some negative connotations in some people's minds because we immediately go to judgment and that God will you know, judge everybody, and that's a threatening kind of thing. Yes. But throughout the Bible, there is also this other perspective on that, that judgment or justice is good news. Mm-hmm. And Often that is because the Bible is written from the perspective of those who are the oppressed and the outcast and the foreigners and the, the travelers and the slaves and the, you know, even half the New Testament are prison letters. Mm-hmm. They're written by people from prison yes. to churches or wherever they might have been. So there's this kind of element within the Bible that is, it is the voices of the oppressed that are actually being heard. And even the prophets, the Hebrew prophets, for example, are speaking against the people in power who are causing injustice and oppression and suffering to ordinary people and sort of saying, hey, this isn't God's intention for how the world ought to be, how your society ought to be. And so in that context, judgment or the justice of God is good news to be celebrated. And even just to spend some time in the Psalms, you will hear this idea that God we want you to intervene. When God steps up, when God takes action, the world will be better. Mm. And the ultimate hope is that God will intervene finally and completely in our world and set everything wrong right and recreate our world in a way that has no death or mourning or suffering or injustice or tragedy in it. So that all of these things will come to an end is core to the good news of the Bible. So God's justice is that everything wrong will be made right. And we're invited, as people who might choose to follow God, we're invited to join in that project even today. Okay, this makes sense, and I agree with you 100%. So how do we do that? Do we get together and get enough votes in Congress to pass morality laws that make sure that our form of justice, as we see God giving it to us, our form of justice becomes the law of the land, and everybody has to live by what we say? Is that true justice? No, I'm not particularly interested in that as a project. Uh, (laughs) I am actually interested in being a voice for the least of these. Mm. And in that sense, I'm quite happy to be engaged in political processes because that is one of the ways that systemic injustice in our world can be 
alleviated. Maybe not solved, but we can certainly make a change to it. One of the very helpful distinctions in my thinking about it comes from an author by the name of Greg Boyd, who makes a distinction between power over and power under. Hmm. Yeah, even just the idea that God is always on the side of the oppressed. Yes, yes. So the people who are suffering, and we can find that in so many different expressions, but even the Beatitudes, uh, blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness or justice, because that word there can mean either of those concepts, Hmm. or both of those concepts together more correctly, because they will be filled. And this idea that a hunger for justice is something that will cause us to act in practical ways in our world. And that can be in responding to somebody with an immediate need. But I also see that it has a place in there are decisions made every day in our world that do affect people, yes, you know, yes. that uh, make people's lives better, give people more opportunities to make better choices in their own lives or not. And we, as people of God, who are concerned about how people created in the image of God are hurt by some of these things, we will be a voice on behalf of those. We often talk about it on being a voice for the voiceless, but nobody is voiceless. It's just that we choose not to listen to some voices. Mm. And so Greg Boyd's distinction here between power over and power under, I think, is so helpful in understanding the rightful place that Christians can be a voice in justice context without getting to the point of restricting other people's freedom to choose how they live and kind of, you know, as you've led in your question, the imposing our morality on others yeah. is a different thing to solidarity with the poor, with those who suffer injustice and oppression, for those who are left out of some of the important discussions and some of the important benefits of our society. And so we have the opportunity to then speak with them and on their behalf. You know, in a democratic society, we should be stewards of the voice that we have. Mm. and seek to use that particularly for the good of others. Christ did spend so much time dealing with the uh, the poor and the needy and the widows, and he told us over and over again that we need to be reflective of that. And you mentioned that in your book throughout, that that is really a central theme of our Christianity, of our, our relationship with God, is how we treat other people. You have a chapter right in the middle of your book called Justice Versus Evangelism. Now, of course, <laughs> as, a, as a missionary son and, and, and a missionary myself from time to time, I was very interested in what you had to say there. Unpack that for us. Which wins in this one? What, justice or evangelism? <laughs> and, of course, it's a false dichotomy. Yes. Even that title is simply buying into an argument that you have to choose one or the other because yeah. they aren't separate things. They are simply how people of faith live in the world, is that we seek to lift people up, we seek to help people in need, and we seek to share the hope that we have, which is why we do what we do in serving people. So they are so intertwined that the justice versus evangelism is a ridiculous thing to say. It isn't one or the other, and we need to recognize that. On a practical level, when it comes down to what a local church does, for example, they might say, well, we only have this much budget. Do we run this kind of program or that kind of program? And, of course, I think in both of these settings, we probably need to be less focused on running programs and more focused on living life Mm. uh, with people in our communities and responding to people's needs, people's questions. Because when you get to know people, you're not so much about running programs. You're living with them. 
and that will draw you into their issues, but also draw them into your face. One of the great examples I love of this is the story from the early church of Dorcas uh, in Acts chapter 9. She was someone who got well-known in her community for making clothes for widows and orphans and, and basically meeting people's physical needs. But it was in her time of need and ultimately her sickness and then her death that these people came together to celebrate what she'd done. And so many churches asked the question, well, if, if our church wasn't here, would our community notice? Well, she was one of those people, and when she wasn't there, her community noticed. Mm. And she's the uh, one person in the New Testament, one female disciple. She's actually described as a disciple. And that's the only time that verse is used specifically to describe a female character in the story. Mm. But it was in her time of need, because these people came together to mourn and support her, that they saw God's power in action when Peter came and she was raised from the dead. So the good works that she did drew people in, and then they witnessed God making a difference in her life. And so these two things aren't disconnected. To me, that's a great and simple story of how in in one individual's life, in one local community, how those things happened together and the story finished so that all the people praised God because of the amazing thing that had happened among them. Wow, that is amazing. Nathan Brown's our guest today. There's a quote here. I want to do the last part of our program based around this quote. It says, this is on page 106 of your book, For the Least of These. You say, there is a core lie that helps us to navigate our lives amid the horrific and tragic stories of this world. It is that those people we see suffering from injustice, oppression, poverty are somehow less than us, and they do not suffer in the same way we would. This lie grows more easily if those people are somehow different. You put a lie to that lie. How do you do that? Yeah, well, ultimately, and this gets back to creation itself, that we are all created in the image of God, that we're all loved by God, and even that Jesus died for each one of us. And so that means we never meet somebody who is outside that story. Mm. And so I understand that we have this basic thing that we feel something closer when it is closer to us. So if a tragedy happens and it's in our local community, it's a big deal. If it's in our country, it's, you know, it's kind of important. If it's on the other side of the world, often we just don't get quite so worked up about it. Or it has to be a bigger thing for it to get the same level of attention. And so we have this kind of, this sliding scale of human value. But what the Bible calls us to, what the gospel calls us to, is a moral equivalence of every person. Mm -hmm. That every person matters, that every story matters. And we just can't walk away from that and claim that we are people of the God who created them in that way. And I think Jesus' identification with the human experience in so many different aspects of his life. You know, Jesus was a refugee as a baby, escaping a violent king who wanted to take his life and they had to cross into a foreign land and spend some time in a place where it was foreign culture. And that's just one example of how Jesus... You know, we talk about how even the title for the least of these is this idea, in as much as you have done it for the least of these, you have done it unto me. But there's a part of that that is not just that all people get this attention, but that Jesus identified himself so much with every person. And so that changes the way we think about people, that people matter incredibly. 
to me, it's just a fascinating thing to just pause when you're in a public place. It might be an airport or a shopping mall or you know, even in church, if that's where you happen to have a moment to reflect mm-hmm. and recognize that every person there is loved by God. And then you see that space is completely filled with the love of God. Mm-hmm. And that must touch your heart and change how you respond to even the people who might be there that you, your natural tendencies would be to not like or to be afraid of. All of a sudden, those relationships must be transformed by that recognition. And so when we get to issues of injustice and we recognize that that person on a news broadcast, you know, going through this terrible experience that's being brutalized or enslaved or having to escape from a dangerous situation across borders or whatever it might be, when we recognize their common humanity and become agents of God and his love, we help them realize and recognize the love that God has for them in practical and tangible ways. Hmm. Nathan Brown is the author and the guest today. Nathan, thank you so much for being here. Appreciate it. Not a problem. Thank you very much. If you'd like more information about LifeQuest Liberty, call 443-391-7258 or email us through our website at libertymagazine.org. Join us again next week at the same time as we examine more of the threats and challenges facing your religious freedom. May God keep the flames of liberty burning in your heart today.